Pastor Xavier Reese and the firm foundation that outlasts any storm. Only what is in Christ will stand at His coming. The doer of God's word is the one whose house is built on the rock. The house of the hearer is built on the sand. And when the storms come, and they will come, and Jesus shakes all things, even as he is shaking them at the present, it will fall. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. A good job, a new car, a home of your own, fame and fortune. These all encompass what the world says is important. But your very success can also be your certain downfall. Today, as he ventures back to the book of Hebrews, Pastor Xavier offers the simple truth and a somber warning about ignoring that which is truly important. Here he is with an ever-relevant study titled, The Plight in Rejecting Jesus. Let's listen. Balaam the prophet, as you know, was told by God not to go with the men that King Balak sent in order that he might curse the children of Israel. But Balaam was so dead set on his own personal gain of money that he acted against all reason, ultimately being killed at the very hands of the Israelites. Balaam was hoping for the best while taking a hopeless risk, going against the word of God. And so is everyone who dismisses the warnings in the scriptures about trusting anything or any other person for their salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Somehow, when we're walking with Christ, whether we were just good moral pagans or religious people or total atheists, we just say, well, I hope it, it'll work out. And it's like, if that, that seals it, it's all going to work out. <laughs> and some of the things we did and believed in, the evidence was so much against it that it doesn't make sense. People get involved in loose sexual activities today. Despite all the evidence of AIDS and sexually transmitted diseases, and somehow they say, well, I hope it all works out, believing that it will, when the chances are so against them, and they know it. They often accuse the Christian of leaping into the darkness, and that's how they define our faith. But our faith is defined as stepping into the light. <laughs> it's the non-believer who leaps into the darkness, jumps off a cliff and says, well, I hope I land on a bush, not a rock. The author to the book of Hebrews has made a transition from the life of faith in chapter 11 to the life of hope in chapter 12. Perseverance and patience is the underlying theme through these last three chapters, as you know, in view of exhortation of what they already knew to be the life practice of the Christian. They're being reminded. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you don't tell anything to your kids that, which you haven't told them a million times. We might look at the first section of this chapter from verse 1 through 13 of chapter 12 as a process of hope. In verse 1 through 3, we've seen the source of the believer's hope as we look to the race. In verses 4 through 11, the hope of the believer is one of sonship. And then verse 12 and 13, uh, the strength of the believer that comes from hope. That's the process. 
And then the second section from verse 14 to 29, uh, it's the product of hope. In verse 14 through 17, the pursuit of the believer in hope. 18 to 24, the proper perspective of the believer's hope. And then verse 25 to 29, the plight of the believer in rejecting that hope that was offered. The basis for this section is verse 13. Look at it. Having made their path straight for their feet, in order that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather heal, then and only then can the following exhortation be fulfilled. So once we get our eyes on the Lord, we're running that race, and our feet are strong now, our path is straight, and our hands are lifted to God, then we can do this, then and only then. That's the key. And so what we want to do is focus on the possible plight of the believer here in rejecting Jesus, the sure and only hope for sinful man. And it's evident by three things. Let me read here. Verse 25 to 29. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of all those things that are being shaken, as of the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. The possible plight of the believer in rejecting Jesus Christ as the sure and only hope is evident by three things. Verse 25, the stern warning. Verse 26 and 27, the solemn promise. And verse 28 and 9, the sensible wisdom. Notice the progression. You want to make sure you end up in sensible wisdom. That's where you want to end up. The stern warning, verse 25. It's a repeated reminder. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. This is nothing new. He's been telling this all along. The imperative command, notice, in this warning is marked by a personal responsibility. This is evident by the word see. You as parents often say to your children, look, look, look at me. Look at what I'm saying. Look at my lips. Listen to me. You're calling attention because it's urgent. It's imperative. It's important. You want your child to clearly understand you because you know there are consequences that he can receive if he doesn't pay attention, be it from the activity or from yourself. <laughs> now, these Hebrew Christians were not to refuse him who speaks. Notice the person is being referred to here as Jesus, the one through and by whom the Father is speaking to men in these last days. He said at the beginning, that's how he opens up. God who at different times and in diverse manners spoken times past to the Father by the prophets has in these last days spoken us to his dear, through his dear Son. He's the bottom line. No one else. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, he continues the same thing over and over and over again. This is the key phrase. Listen, he who speaks... 
for he is the one who warns, just as the father warned at Sinai. Now the son warns. The entire argument goes back to the opening five chapters. Jesus is better than the prophets, the angels, the first Adam, Moses, Aaron, the sacrifice, the covenant. Better. Notice, secondly, here that the fear was of repeating history. The fear of repeating history. For if they did not escape, who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him, Jesus, who speaks from heaven. The reference is to the Father who spoke on earth through the Theophanies in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai. Verses 18 through 21. Here's their historical background. Learn from history. It's an equal parallel and it's a more severe application now. This is what they did in the Old Testament. This is what you're doing in this New Testament. They're both the same, except this is more severe. And so the point being that those in the Old Testament at Sinai who refused God did not escape the judgment of God. This is a historical lesson, which they were not to fall into again and repeat. How often we as parents, when our children were growing, we would take the case of another friend or a person their age who they knew, and they got into trouble or some kind of problem. We said, now, pay attention. This is what happens. We did not do that because we hated the child who fell into the air. We did it because we love our child and we don't want them to fall into the same air. This is the motive behind this. We didn't do that to our child because there was no possibility. We didn't do it just to scare them. We did it because there was a very strong possibility because our child is exactly like them. Same age, same generation, same weaknesses, same temptations, and we've been there. So we shudder. The severity of the warning is marked by the greater privilege these Hebrew Christians had come to. In their history. The contrasting comparison, notice, is between the Father who spoke at Sinai on earth and Jesus who speaks from heaven, being the greater revelation. He's already told us this over and over again. God the Father at Sinai spoke in similitudes and theophanies, the pillar of fire, the cloud, many different things. It was a fearful relationship, distant. Moses was told to put a boundary, a cord, Around the mountain, if anybody drew near it, he tells in verse 18 on down to 21, they would be thrust through with the dark. It was a very fearful, intimidating relationship, and you were distant from God. Only Moses could go on that even at a distance. Jesus became God incarnate. Walk with men. And being the God-man now, he's given us access to God. Being sinful, he became sin for us. He died, he purchased from our sins, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, as Hebrews 1-2 told us in the beginning. You notice the book of Hebrews ends the same way it begins? You can't get away from the book of Hebrews. The comparison is from the lesser to the greater that we've seen over and over and over again repeated. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks 
from heaven. We, much more, the greater privilege held by these Hebrew Christians is a greater accountability. He makes the application himself. It's an equal parallel. The phrase turn away means to turn away from allegiance. The very word demonstrates the reality and the potential. To desert, to depart. For you to desert or depart or turn away from a place, you have to be there. If you're a non-believer, you can't be there in salvation. You're not regenerated. You're not born again. He has made it clear these people have embraced the gospel. They've confessed Christ. They have left the temple. They have left the sacrifice. They're thinking of going back. Now, if they did not escape the judgment, what made these Hebrew Christians think they would? And here, here's the deception. Everybody always thinks they're the exception. <laughs> this is the final passionate warning to warn these Hebrew Christians from going back to the law and animal sacrifices. This is the author. It's a real potential. There are those today who think they are the exception. This somehow never applies to them. And they can escape the judgment of God if they turn away. Listen to the process that we've gone through in this incredible book. In chapter 2, verse 1, don't drift from what you have heard. Drifting is easy. You ever been on the beach out there in the water? <laughs> Put your keys down by the lifeguard station number 6. And after an hour, you can't even find life station 6. <laughs> verse 12 of chapter 3, don't disbelieve or depart from the living God. Chapter 5, verse 12. Don't degenerate in your spiritual growth and go back to Judaism. Chapter 6, verse 4 through 8. Don't crucify again for yourselves the Son of God and putting him to an open shame. Chapter 10, verse 26 through 29. Don't sin willfully after you have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaining no more sacrifice for sins but fearful judgment. Trampling underfoot the blood, the Son of God, counting the blood of the covenant by which you were sanctified a common thing, and insulting the Spirit of grace. Don't do that. Lastly here, don't defy what you have heard. 12.25 Study the process. Study the progression. Study the intensity. Study the urgency. This is a stern warning. The Bible is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Very important. Now notice, he moves on to the solemn promise, having given the warning. Verse 26 and 27. Verse 26, the solemn promise, the Son of God will come a second time. The revelation of God at Sinai was based on the voice of God, as we've seen here, whose voice then shook the earth. As Yahweh's voice then shook the earth at the giving of the law in the past and commanded obedience of the law, 
So now the Son is speaking from heaven. The law promised the first and the second coming, by the way, of the Son of God. So the foundation was the Old Testament. The people were affected in one way or the other. If they obeyed, they lived. If they disobeyed, they died. By the way, the shaking was localized at Sinai, and the only people affected were the Jews. So though it's an equal parallel, there are distinctions. The revelation of God now is based on the voice of the Son, the one who's speaking from heaven, warning about what? His second coming. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. The comparison is between the shaking of Sinai and the shaking at the return of Jesus to set up the kingdom where all the nations will worship him in the millennial temple. He's quoting the prophet Haggai, chapter 2, verse 6 through 7. Notice the comparison is between the localized shaking at Sinai in the past to all the earth and heaven that will be shaken as a universal event in the future. It's greater. It's more severe. By the way, the promise is presented in the present perfect tense as already having taken place. Why? Because prophecy is as sure as you're sitting here. It will come to pass. The comparison again is from what? The lesser to the greater. And so in the great tribulation, and that is coming, as he fights the battle of Armageddon to set up the kingdom, the earth will be shaken in many ways. We read some of the earthquakes there and some of the horrible things that will happen. Uh, some of those earthquakes, not an island was found and mountains were moved completely. Uh, I think those are about 20 on the rector scale. <laughs> Notice the effect of the Lord's return to the earth is given to us secondly here. Verse 27. All that is in rebellion to Jesus will be removed. Don't miss that. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, present, being shaken, as of things that are made. This again is a quote from the prophet Haggai 2.6. The phrase, yet once more, marks urgency once again and certainty of the event. Earlier we read in chapter 10, verse 37, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not Terry. So he's told him about the second coming. In fact, that's the urgency. The things that were being shaken were being shaken presently. He pointed to their past, but he's dealing with them in the present. And what were those things? The law, the temple, the sacrifice, the first covenant. They were being shaken. These are Jews. They're freaked out. They're thinking of going back to be strengthened on what was being shaken. If an earthquake is taking place, you don't grab a something that is shaking. You don't grab a hold of that. You grab a hold of something that is solid and firm. The word remove means to transfer or change. God was no longer speaking through the law or the prophets on earth, but through the sun from heaven. Notice that all that is in submission to Jesus will remain. That the things which cannot be shaken may remain. 
Only what is in Christ will stand at his coming. We, the church, will be raptured. Those who remain through the tribulation, great tribulation, they will have an incredible opportunity to be saved. There will be a great revival, but not all will accept Christ. Those who do, when Christ returns, they will remain. But those who do not, those who reject, those who take the mark of the beast, they will be removed. The doer of God's word is the one whose house is built on the rock. The house of the hearer is built on the sand. And when the storms come, and they will come, and Jesus shakes all things, even as he is shaking them at the present, they will fall. Matthew 7, 24. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter time some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Non-believers are not told to be careful of deception. Non-believers are not told to be careful of departing. It is the believer who is warned throughout the New Testament. The non-believer is called to repent. He's evangelized. He is deceived. He's never come to the truth. It is the believer who's warned. The early Romans developed a strange kind of prophecy by chicken. They would get chickens and put them in a cage with food. And if the chickens greedily ate the food, that would be a good omen. But if those chickens kind of ignored and showed no interest in it, then it was an unfavorable sign. However, the method um, to determine the future opened up uh, doors for abuse. And on occasions, what they would do is they would starve these chickens beforehand. So when they would put them in the cage, of course, they would eat. And they would get the sign that they wanted. But this sometimes didn't work. And in this one time... During the First Punic War, one frustrated consul threw the chickens into the ocean because they wouldn't eat. And he says, um, let them drink if they won't eat. <laughs> Such is the attitude and actions of so many who know not Christ as Savior. They don't want to accept or believe the prophecies of the second coming, that he's coming to judge the world. And they get angry. And they, in their own authority, just say, that's religious nonsense. Because they want their own outcome. They've created God in their own image. They reject the image of God, the revelation of the scriptures. How foolish. The revelation of Jesus at his first coming fulfilled the revelation of Sinai in a greater way. It was confirmed by the Father three times in the New Testament as he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. He was the ultimate prophet. He was the creator of the angels. He was the one that Moses spoke about. He was the Lamb of God. He was the new covenant. Pastor Xavier Reese and simple truths of the hope of heaven. 
And as always, you can hear this message again if you like online, anytime, by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But you won't want to miss the next broadcast for the remainder of this lesson. Now, if you won't be able to join in, you can pick up a copy of this message on CD. And the title to ask for is The Plight in Rejecting Jesus. It's available for only $4. And this is a great way to share this ministry with your family and friends. Once again, the title to ask for is The Plight in Rejecting Jesus. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for helping us by including the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This way, we can keep up to date on this ministry's impact in your area. Mortal Man, Holy God, the essence of our relationship with the Creator, coming up on the next Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com